Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called unto him David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul was coming to David. He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. I want to minister tonight with the help of the Lord from this thought. Escape from Lodabar. Escape from Lodabar. I need you to lift your hands to heaven right now. And I need you to ask the Lord to help us right now. God, we're standing, Lord, in need of your anointing. Help me, God. In the name of Jesus, Father, arrest the attention of your people tonight. Bind every spirit that is unlike you. Loose your liberty and your freedom in this house. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Somebody clap your hands as you're seated tonight. Lord bless you. You may be seated. That's a courtesy and certainly not a command. Escape from Lodabar. We find in 2 Samuel chapter 9 that the heart of David is longing to find someone from Jonathan's house to show kindness to. This was simply because of the love that David had for Jonathan. Never before would you find in Holy Writ a bond like that of the bond between Jonathan and David. In 1 Samuel we find that they made a covenant together. For the Bible says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. In 2 Samuel 9 we find time has certainly passed by quickly as we know it does. And Jonathan is no longer in the picture David, being the man of God that he was and the character that he was, held true to the covenant that he swore unto Jonathan. 
So David begins to seek out someone from the house of Saul and the house of Jonathan that he might show the kindness of God to them. After much searching, David finds a servant from the house of Saul. This servant then tells David that a son of Jonathan's who is lame on his feet is by the name of Mephibosheth and where his location is in the house of Machir in Lodabar. Mephibosheth's birth name was similar to that of the name Baal. The Bible tells us that due to that likeness, his name was changed. At the age of five, both his father, Jonathan, and his grandfather, Saul, were killed in the battle of Jezreel on Mount Geboa. The nurse then takes baby Mephibosheth and flees for their life out of fear for the child's protection. And during their fleeing, the child fell. And during that fall, however type of fall that it was, he became lame and for the rest of his life was crippled. There are no recordings of how he landed in Lodabar. But whatever the circumstance was, however the happenings occurred, Lodabar is the location where this crippled man ended. We find historically by definition the name Lodabar means no pasture. It is a pastureless place. On the surface we think of a pasture being the rolling meadows of grass and vegetation where cows feed and various animals graze and, and they live and they get their sustenance from the grass of the field. So it would stand to reason tonight that if we're talking about a place of no pasture that we could easily look at that being the opposite. It's a place where no vegetation is found. It's a place of barrenness. It might look like your backyard. It's a place where grass perhaps used to grow, but now what was once green is brown. What once fed the cows won't feed anyone. It is a place of no vegetation. It is a place where the necessary elements of plant life no longer live. It's a place of no pasture. I would that it were that easy this evening, but it's not. Just knowing that the word Lodabar means no pasture simply is not enough. For it gets more complicated than that. If you look up the word pasture in the biblical sense, you will find that it leads you to the topic of sheep tending. It doesn't even really lead you to those pretty green flowing meadows on the hills. It leads you to the topic of understanding that sheep tending is the Scripture's way of alluding to the life of the man of God. The life of the shepherd. The life of the pastor. There is something that is special to God about the comparison of the shepherd and the sheep. For in Psalm 23 and 1 we read that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Romans 10, 14 the writer writes to the church and says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. Ladies and gentlemen, it is important that I remind us this evening and it is my responsibility at this hour to remind us that we do not live in a democratic church environment. The society in which we live in has spoiled us to the place that we believe that we have a right to vote on everything. 
The society in which we live has, has caused us to believe that if we don't like something, we don't have to do it. We live in a society, and most of that is border upon the United States of America. And I'm not anti-American this evening, but I will tell you that things that our country was built on 200 years ago are now being more abused than they are uh, glorified. We live in a society that believes that the man of God should not tell you what is right, and what is wrong? That he should simply make you feel good, pat you on the back for nice social attendance, and put you on your way to a Sunday dinner that makes you feel like you're saved. But ladies and gentlemen, if your heart's right with God and if your interest truly lies in being saved by the plan of salvation, then you need to understand tonight that God's plan for man goes far beyond feeling good. God's plan for man goes far beyond a pat on the back. God's looking for somebody that whether you feel good or whether you don't, that you're going to say, preacher, tell me the truth. God did not establish a democracy. Well, glory. God did not establish a democracy. God's not interested in taking a vote on who's hot and who's cold. You won't find where he's interested in what color carpet you prefer and what color pews you prefer. God is interested more in truth. God is interested more in what is right. There's a lot of things in life we need not worry about. If we could just somehow get our eyes on God and allow the man of God that God has placed over us to preach the Word of God. Now this, this is not in my notes this evening. Just allow me a little liberty here to find my pathway. There, there's a lot of things in life you may disagree with. Amen. Bishop, I'm going to say this because I know you'll know how to take it. But I've been under your ministry for nearly two decades. Don't think for a minute, ladies and gentlemen, that every single solitary thing he has said that I have personally, on a man-to-man level, agreed with. But if you want the blessings of God to flow in your life, there is an art of submission Submission's not a dirty word. I didn't just cuss. Submission says, I'm not the one in control. Submission says, he sees on the horizon some things that I don't see. Submission says, I don't care how anointed I feel. Hear me now. You'll never get anointed enough to instruct your man of God on what he needs to do or what he doesn't need to do. It doesn't matter how anointed you feel. There is always going to be a submission in your life. You will submit to something. 
You'll submit to something. Something. I've watched in my lifetime, more times than I could count, people who would not submit in a religious atmosphere. They did not want to be told what is right and what is wrong. Because you see, when the message is over, I'm not going to go take a poll and come clean up after you and see who followed it. I'm just the postman. I'm just the mail deliverer. It's up to you and God to live it. I'm just delivering the mail. However, there is something to be said about submitting to the man of God and his life. You're going to submit to something. I've seen people that would not submit in church, would not submit to the Word of God, would not follow the teachings of the man of God, but they'll go to a job. And they'll go to an interview and whenever that interview concludes and they look at them with that flashy, toothy smile and say, you've got the job. All you have to do now is you've got to wear earplugs, you've got to wear hairnet, you've got to wear long sleeve flannel shirts, and you've got to wear steel toe shoes. Well, sir, I don't want to do that. Then you're not hired. Get out. Oh, wait just a second. Where do I sign? Why are we willing to submit to that? Because it, it requires a paycheck. There is something I've got coming to me in return, and I'm willing to don a hard hat and a hairnet and steel toe shoes so I can collect my $20 an hour, but you tell me that I'm not willing to submit to the Word of God that I might be saved? Ladies and gentlemen, I think not. There is a submission that we need in this hour that I don't care if you got a job or whether you're unemployed, submit to the Word of God because the Word of God will stand forever. So how can they hear without a preacher? There are those who seek counsel, who seek direction. Let me help you here. You'll need fewer counseling sessions. You'll need fewer one-on-one moments with the pastor or the pastor's wife if you'll just listen to the preaching. If you'll just allow the Word of God to instruct you, And if you'll just submit yourself to the Word of God, there'll be fewer times that you need a phone call or 30 minutes before church. But when we won't submit, in our human nature, we think that a one-on-one session is going to tell us a little bit differently than what the preaching did. He's going to tell you the same thing he did when he preached under the anointing. Because the word of God is true. And the timing of God is impeccable. There's a sense of dependency in the sheep toward their shepherd. There's a sense of direction that is given. Mephibosheth lost his direction 
in life as a child. I want, I want you to hear me good here. At the age of five years old, his father is dead. His grandfather is dead. His nurse runs with him for safety. He falls. Perhaps she dropped him. We don't know. But he's crippled now for the rest of his life. All. All. I want you to look at your neighbor tonight and say all. Shout it at him. All. All circumstances that have negatively affected Mephibosheth's life are out of his control. He was a five-year-old. He didn't do anything to bring this on himself. He doesn't deserve to be in a place that he is at. He lands in Lodabar. He lands in a place of no pasture. He lands in a place where that it seems that he settles for less than he really is. He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in the city of Lodabar, in a place of no pasture, and he is settled there for the rest of his life. Allow me now, if you will, to give a charge to our parents and grandparents this evening that you have a divine responsibility to raise your children. The responsibility to teach your children what is right rests upon your shoulders. Not bishops. Not the pastors. They're going to preach it. Any man that stands behind this pulpit is going to preach it. But when you leave this house, you have a responsibility, ladies and gentlemen, to tell your children no. Well, hallelujah. You have a responsibility. Those of you that have minors in your house, I realize you may not like hearing this, but it's still true anyhow. You have a responsibility to tell them no. We live in a society where parents want to be friends. And that's why we've got children that don't respect their parents. And that's why we've got kids calling the shots and saying, I will do this. I will go there. Ladies and gentlemen, somebody needs to buckle down in parenthood under the guise of God and say, I will raise my house. As a matter of fact, I believe, and I believe this is by the word of God and our responsibility as parents, if you've got a minor in your house, they should not have the option of whether they come to church or not. You the parent. You the one that's going to stand before God. They should be in church. You saying I should make them? I'm saying that you should be a parent. And if that means doing what my mother and father did to me, Brother Freddie, when I come to them on a Friday night an hour before church time and said I'm not playing the drums anymore and I'm not going to church. I saw my mother's bony fingers start to flex. And she looked at me and she said, you may not play the drums, but you're going to church. I'm not here to make anybody mad tonight. But if we're going to be saved, we need to be saved. We and our households. This is not a selfish religion. I've 
got responsibilities. You've got responsibilities. And we'll stand before God in judgment for them. You want to know why your children don't like church? Get them here. They need it. And I can guarantee you this. They're not always going to like it. But we live. We live in an age where everything is so engaging. Our minds are mentally engaged too much. Whether it be, and I'm not against technology, but whether it be computers, iPods, iPads, iPhones, games, Xbox, PlayStation, our brain never stops. And I'm not telling you how, to, how many minutes to tell your child they can play and they can't play. I can tell you in my house, when we feel like enough is enough, we tell him. You've been on it enough, give it a break. The reason why some don't like church under, under a certain age is because there's certain things that they're expecting their mind to just be 100% engaged. They don't know how to handle quiet. They don't know how to handle silence. Then it's automatically interpreted as boring. We need to be teaching them how to handle the silence because sometimes in the solitude, God speaks. They shouldn't have the option. When they get out of your house, you can't do anything about it. You do what you can do now, then you won't have any regrets later. We have a responsibility. What's that got to do with the message? It's got everything to do with the message. Mephibosheth has lived a life that he shouldn't have had to live. And he didn't ask for any of it. But he lost everything as a child. Because he didn't have anybody left to give him direction. They need direction. They don't need to be wandering around campus. Playing out in the yard while we're having church. They need direction. They need parameters. The difficulty in this age is the reason why some children don't have parameters is because the adults don't. So rather than spend all of my time on kids tonight, let's talk about the adults for just a moment. We need some discipline in our lives to know how that we ought to live. Otherwise, we're going to have some Mephibosheths in our home that are going to lose their direction. And it's not going to be pastor's fault. And it's not going to be God's fault. It's going to be whoever you look at in the mirror every day whose responsibility, ladies and gentlemen, we need to embrace our responsibility in God and understand that we cannot hear the word of God without a preacher. Lodabar was not the place for Mephibosheth. He was a line of royalty. He didn't deserve to be in a place of no pasture. He didn't deserve it. But yet he's there. He deserved to be in the king's house. He deserved the very best of the best. Because he was the son of royalty. While in Lodabar, he's divinely sustained. He's kept alive. But perhaps we could say alive is all he is. He's still crippled. 
He's still away from the house that he should be in. But nonetheless, he was alive. And although he was wronged, and although his life was filled with many tragedies, we find no evidence that he ever grew angry or bitter. Mephibosheth was a consummate example of what we need to be when we enter trials and circumstances. There are things that some of us encounter in life that you didn't ask for. it. There are circumstances and valley experiences that you walk through that you didn't bring on yourself. But oftentimes what happens is while we're in that valley, there are decisions we make out of flesh that just make our problems worse. Because we're in a place of no direction. It's important to note that the scripture is very explicit in the location of Mephibosheth. The Bible says, For Ziba told David that he was in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Amiel is the sixth son of a man, the sixth, number six, not sick, but the number sixth son of a man by the name of Obed-Edom. After the death, death of Uzzah, the ark which was being taken from the house of Abinadab in Gibeah to the city of David was carried aside into the house of Obed-Edom. And 1 Chronicles 13, 14 says, And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom in all that he had. Blessings, and some of you have witnessed this, but blessings often flow from generation to generation. There are some things that some of us have been blessed by and blessed with only because of those that have went before us. It's a trail that we didn't burn ourselves. It's a path that we didn't walk the first time by ourselves. Somebody else has walked it before us. And because of their blessing, we are blessed. Because of their sacrifice, we are blessed. But what happens two generations from now if we're still not blazing the trail that our forefathers laid before us? It's interesting. When I was a kid, I used to have a dirt bike and I would ride it every day in the summer and the spring as long as it was warm enough to ride. And had trails that went all the way through the woods and all of my father's property and I would ride for hours upon hours upon hours. 20-something years later, when I go back to visit Bishop, as I'm pulling in the drive and, and I'm looking around, you know, everything's just kind of new again. And I, I see no signs whatsoever of those trails. What used to be a well-trodden, packed-down dirt trail with no brush, no grass, uh, nothing growing up in it, just a very clear path for a dirt bike. What used to be very clean and distinct, now you can't even tell ever existed. Because when I stopped riding that trail, there was no one behind me to continue it. I would declare to you this evening that there are trails that our forefathers have laid before us. Trails of holiness. Trails of right living. Trails of salvation. Trails of, of real, true Christianity. That if we are not careful, we will get so caught up in the blessings of what they have done for us that we will not realize that we are not laying the same blessings for the next generation. And we'll turn around and it'll be too late. And the path will be grown up. 
And there'll be no evidence that an apostolic church existed. There'll be no evidence that holiness was ever there. There'll be no evidence that anybody ever lived right in a separated life from the world because we've, we've lost our passion and our drive for right. It's easy to clap and say amen. It's easy to come to church and worship. It's a different story to walk out of here and live it. God give us a generation that's going to live this message not just today because our parents are here. Not just today because Bishop's still here. Not just today because somebody's done it for us. But God give us a generation in this hour that's going to escape from Lodabar. So 20 years from now, the next generation will be preaching and I'll be listening to them talk about the truth of God. Why don't you lift your hands to the Lord right now? If we are not careful, we will lose truth before we realize it. I am not suggesting that collectively as a body of Christ in this assembly that we are at risk of losing truth. And I say that with confidence because I know we have good leadership. Ladies and gentlemen, just hear me for just a moment. Because life happens... And just bear with me with what I'm about to say. How are you going to live when Bishop and Sister McGee aren't here anymore? I, I need my family just to walk with me for just a moment here. Life happens. And they're my mother-in-law and father-in-law, so you ought to understand the spirit in which I'm saying this. But life happens. Brother Freddie, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be 38 years old. And there are times I look out my eyes and I still see things as I did when I was a teenager. And I hear people talk about people and, and they just got married and the last time I saw them, they was knee high to a duck. And I'm like, Brother Dennis, they can't be married. I'm not that old. Guess what? I'm that old. Now, if I'm that old, those that are older than me didn't stand still. So how are you going to live when there's not a bishop preaching and kicking his leg all across the front of the sanctuary like none of us younger folks can do? When all that we've got left, pastor, of a legacy is a memory. Because there are some things, hear me now, there are some things in life it's easier to live when we have a collective reasoning among us. Because there's safety and security in numbers. And when you've got faith in somebody, when you've got faith in somebody, 
And you know that you can rub elbow to them. And you know you can lock arms with them and say, Bishop, in your morning watch, I want you to pray for me. And you can leave knowing confidently that if this man says, I'm going to pray for you, you can believe it. You can write a blank check, take it to the bank, and tell them he's good for it. Because he's going to do it. But when there's not a morning watch, because there's not a bishop, and you can't lock arms with him, and you can't lean on his word, hear me now. How are you going to live? Are you going to get trapped and stuck in Lodabar and just settle for everything that God did not intend for you to settle for? Or are you going to understand that it is the divine will of God Almighty that you get a relationship with God for yourself? Oh, there's something burning in me tonight. And I hope to God I can get it out. But we need a relationship that whether it's this bishop, whether it's this pastor, no matter who's preaching, I'm going to listen, I'm going to submit, and I'm going to live the Word of God. Hallelujah. How, how would you live? How would you live if your pastor wasn't your pastor? He don't have to be here. Just hear me for a second. He chose to come home by the will of God. He was already settled in another assembly. Full time in ministry supporting another church. Filling out the will of God. Learning everything he could learn. God knows your end. From your beginning. If you had asked me when I was 18 years old, if I would have been here, I'd have laughed in your face and said, absolutely not. My wife and I have been courting each other from a very young age. can't call it dating because we couldn't drive. <laughs> Serious. Well, there were no formal dates, so you got to keep things in perspective. But she had been my woman since I was 12 years old. I had all intentions of taking her to Kentucky. And did. <laughs> now let's stop there for just a moment.
Isn't God good? <laughs> Eight months into our marriage. I brought it up, I believe, first. Because I had, prior to feeling this from God, had just chalked it up to she's a newlywed bride and she's having difficulty separating from her family. It, it's normal. Eight months into it, I started getting an itch to do the will of God, realizing that what I was doing, no matter how good the intentions, was not the will of God. My father was my pastor. I had free property to build a house. Didn't have to pay a dime for it and would have probably been pastoring his church now. That was his plan. At one point, that was my plan. Eight months into a marriage at the age of 19, I realized that wasn't God's plan. Now, I'm just, I'm not trying to get a pat on the back tonight. I'm trying to paint a picture. Because I understand what it's like to be faced at a crossroads of trying to determine the will of God when you don't know what the will of God is. And I want somebody tonight to hear me and understand that whenever you need the will of God in your life, you don't change a thing until you know the will of God. If you go off on your flesh and you start seeking direction, you're going to end up in Lodabar. There are things that we seek after. Jobs. Relationships. You shouldn't, I don't care how old you are, and I'm not just talking to teenagers tonight, you shouldn't enter a relationship unless you know it's the will of God. And if God's given you prophecies over your life, you need not enter relationships that are contrary to what God has told you. Or you're going to end up downtown Lodabar. And you're going to take somebody with you. And when you get there, you're not going to want to listen to a pastor. See, there's where we go wrong. We follow flesh. Mm. We follow our flesh. And we end up somewhere that we knew we didn't need to go. We've been counseled not to go there. We've heard preaching that says don't go there. We've heard teaching that says don't go there. And we go there and we mess up and we find out just exactly how horrible it is and then we come back and say, oh, pastor, tell me how to clean it up. And because he's a man of integrity and a man of honor, he doesn't say, I told you so. He kneels down in the briary brush and he cries with you and he weeps with you out of his sympathies because he knows if six weeks ago you would have just listened. We need to escape from Lodabar. Oh, God, help us get some guts in this house. 
Some of us, when we were sinners, we wouldn't think twice about telling somebody off. But now that we're saved, we want to be a doormat and let everybody and everything walk all over us. There's a right and a wrong way to talk. There's a right and a wrong way to deal with situations. But whenever it comes to impacting your spiritual walk with God, you better take a stand. That's not the time to be weak. That's not the time to be mealy-mouthed and say, well, I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to be saved. If that hurts somebody's feelings, Jesus himself said there would be a sword. Ah! Lodabar is not the place for royalty. Lodabar is not the place that you need to be. It served a purpose for Mephibosheth only because of somebody else's blessings. But when those blessings have subsided and those people aren't blazing the trail anymore, you're left in a place of no pasture all alone. No memories, no legacy, no royalty, no hope. I'm trying to extend somebody some hope tonight. Lodabar is a type and shadow of our mental and spiritual state of mind. There are many battles we fight. There are circumstances that we face. There are circumstances that, yes, they interrupt our lives and possibly everything we do. There are situations that affect our families. There are situations that in a church and in our individual lives that we must, I said we must, deal with. They mentally and spiritually cripple us and cripple our souls to the point that it seems like we can't even walk by faith. I've been to the place in my walk with God that I've told my pastor, I've called him on the phone or emailed him or texted him or somehow told him that I don't even know if I can have faith right now. I was so low and so broken and so burned that I didn't even feel like I could believe God for myself. So I needed somebody to believe God for me. At that juncture, if I had stopped and instead of leaning on a man of God and instead of being transparent with him and telling him, Pastor, I can't even do it myself right now. I need your help. If I had stopped at that juncture and said, you know what, I'm going to do this because it feels good. I'm going to make this decision because it's what I think is best. If I had ignored what I knew to do and what I knew to do was you don't change anything when you don't know what to do. Because somewhere between here and the end of the valley, God's going to speak. Because the valley, hear me ladies and gentlemen, the valley is temporary. My God, I feel like I'm pulling somebody out of the fire tonight. The valley is temporary. It's not always going to be like this. Ah! But in your life, it's going to get worse if you ignore the fact that Lodabar is not for you. Because God knows your end from your beginning. There are times we seek direction and we listen to what we feel more than what God says. We listen to what other people say. More than what God says. Well, God hasn't said anything yet. Then you don't change anything. 
Because His timing is perfect. His will is all-knowing. His power is transcending everything. If God hasn't spoke to you yet, then all He's expecting from you is you keep walking. I just can't go any longer. One step at a time. And I guarantee you somewhere along the way, one of the steps you take, God is going to show up. Sometimes I am convinced, I've been convinced this for years, and I've been guilty of it too. I am convinced that we give up, Brother Freddie, two steps shy of miracle. There are times we want to be used of God, but we don't want to pay the price. We want to live in Lodabar, but we want to be used. You're going to be used to your fullest when you get out of Lodabar. The experiences you have faced in your valley experience will aid you in your being used of God. But you will not be used of God until you come out of those experiences. Because when you don't know direction yourself, you can't give somebody else direction. But this is temporary. Thank God for the blessings of sustainment. But I believe by the word of God that there are times God wants to give you more than sustainment. He wants to give you victory. In Galatians 4 and 7, the Bible says, Wherefore there are no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We need some Davids in this hour that are going to stand up and have some godly power and be counted for. Seek out the divine will of God. Separate yourselves from people that separate you from the will of God. Separate yourselves from people, I'll say it again, that separate you from the will of God. You can't force the will of God. And God won't force it on you. We need to escape. Staying in Lodabar is not healthy. It's not healthy spiritually. It's not healthy physically. You can turn me off tonight. And you can say, oh, that's just another good message. That's just another talk, another speech. I've heard it before. I'll be all right. And that's your prerogative. Three months from now, when it seems that the gates of hell have opened her mouth in your life, because you've made decisions based on flesh and not the will of God, and you finally wake up in the the hog pit, And you start looking for a way home. You've lost your direction. And you've got no one around you to give you any good direction. Where do you turn? Let me give you a, a good thermometer gauge tonight to know if you're, if you're living in Lodabar or if you're headed that direction. If things in your life that used to be important are no longer important, 
If what used to be sin is now just a simple conviction, I've seen churches recently that as a collective body have turned away from basic doctrines that we know are true by the Word of God. Pastor, men that in a, in a spiritual, godly sense, I idolized. I, I thought they hung the moon. When they would stand behind the pulpit, I didn't know anything else existed. Now I'm watching them walk a different path. James 4 and 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Staying in Lodabar will cause you to lose your sensitivity. When we can come to an apostolic church service and not be sensitive to God, there's a callousness in our spirit that's wrong. When you lose your sensitivity to having a man of God point his bony finger at you and tell you it's wrong. And instead of convicting you, it angers you. You're in Lodabar. We need a prophet in our lives. And I'm not talking about a man. I'm talking about whatever instrument God uses to prophesy. I'm not talking about the Freddie Harris's of the world. And if anyone is listening by way of podcast six weeks from now and they hear that statement, I mean no disrespect. I love him and his ministry, but we'll flock to a revival service when a prophet's in town. But we don't want to hear what our pastor has to prophesy over us because it's the same old thing. Every time you hear the Word of God preached, that's prophecy. Every time you hear the Word of God preached, that's instruction for your life. If you have to have a man stand before you, point his finger and read your mail knowing that he doesn't know anything about you to be saved, you're not going to be saved. How can you say that? Because rarely is that going to happen. And when it does, and the hype and euphoria of it are over, just like a good Sunday night kick and worship and service on Monday morning, it's over. The hype of having a man read your mail and tell you what you had for breakfast and who your mother is, it's going to be gone. And now it's going to be meaningless. I'm not knocking prophecy. I've had men prophesy over my life and tell me things that I knew that only God knew. It's real, and I believe it. But when I woke up the next morning, that, that was over. It was still a good word, but it was over. I couldn't live on that anymore. Whatever meal I eat when this service is over for supper, I can't live on that the rest of the week, Brother Freddie. I'm not going to live on that for the rest of the week. So why do we do that spiritually? Stand with me tonight. Mephibosheth was told by a loving king, you'll eat bread at my table continually. 
I'll leave you with this. Don't leave the Father's presence when there's bread in the house. God is offering you a way of escape. He's offering you an answer. I believe with all of my heart and soul tonight there's people in this building that have been praying for answers. That have been seeking for direction. If you are sincere in your seeking, you'll continue to worship Him till you get it. I heard it at camp. I've heard it before. It was touched hard at camp. I believe there's a reason for that. Because there seems to be something reverberating in this hour. But if the only time you're interested in doing something for God is when a door opens up for you to do something. The only time you worship God is when you're doing something. That's not relationship. We need, we need to forget about doing stuff. You know, 20 years ago when I was just starting to preach, that's all I thought about as a young man. And that's all right to a certain extent. Cultivate what God has given you. But don't misunderstand passion for anointing. And don't misunderstand calling for opportunity. You can be called... Iron sharpens iron, gentlemen. You can be called and not operate in that ministry for 20 years. That's what David did. David was anointed for the Jordan. He was anointed. But it wasn't until his late 30s, early 40s that he was king. But he was anointed as a 15-year-old. The anointing is not just for what you do. But we need an anointing of God for who we are. This altar is open tonight. I'm inviting you to come and just bury your head in the carpet tonight and just begin to talk with God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.